Well, good morning and happy inauguration week, everybody. What an exciting week. Welcome to our TR90 weight management call. I This is Dorcas Smith, Granny D, out of Plymouth, Michigan, and I am so happy to be here. I'd like to thank Frank Lomas for all that he does and Brian Curry for his technological wizardry every day. He does an amazing job, and I'd like to thank all the speakers, but particularly um, Susan Mann, who's always there to be our support, and she provides us with amazing food information every week, and thanks to her, I think I'm a much healthier person. So there you have it. All right, so where are we this week? I'm working on Brain Rules by John Medina, The 12 Principles for Surviving, Thriving at Work, Home, and at School. And his, oh, I don't know that I have his email right, his text at the top of my, uh, let me look. Sorry, guys. Um, You can find more information at www.brainrules.net. All right, so what are we talking about today? Most everybody else talks about the eating habits and your lifestyle change and getting enough sleep. And I'm going to tell you, working at getting enough sleep is definitely really, really important. I have to work at it every day. I have to make sure that I get to bed in time. And some nights, like this last week, because of taxes, going to bed wasn't early enough. But I'm back on my track again. But what I'm focusing on is the brain. And one of the most important parts of the brain is memories. We've been doing short-term memories, and then we've gotten into long-term memory. Now, last time I spoke, we talked about two kinds of models of putting things into memory. The library model, which you can imagine, you go along the stacks and you find your information. Or there is the Sherlock Holmes collection of crime scene model. And... It seems that there are both involved in our long-term memory. But what I really want to say is, or what I wanted to get across today is, your current memories can impact your past memories. Because what happens every time you pull up an old memory, you actually restart the memory system again. And that means that it can be Um, there can be a problem with what you recall because the past, the new memory impacts the past memory and changes it. What you remember or thought about at 16 is not what you remember when when you're thinking about it at nearly at 69. There are changes in your old memories, even if they're strong memories, because when you bring them back up, your current memory changes it. So just know that what you think is an old memory is strong might not be, and you might want to consult with somebody else to see what their memory is. So at early, at relatively early, oh, and there's three ways that we, okay, I learned this from this book. There are three things that we're going to be working on these things in in this section. Repetition. And how does repetition work well? Well, obviously, 
there's three ways that that's impacted. You space out the input. In other words, you repeat on a regular basis. You have high interest in the memory and you talk about it. When you talk about a memory, it seems to help to remember. So those are the three things in repetition. You repeat the, obviously, there's the repetition to repeat to remember. There's having high interest, and we talked about high interest when the, in, when the input goes in, and then we have talking about it. At relatively early periods, post-learning, say minutes to hours or days, retrieval systems allow us to re- reproduce a fairly specific and detailed account of a given memory. This might be likened to the library model, but as time goes by, we switch to a type of more reminiscent, more of a, of a style of memory that is more reminiscent of the Sherlock Holmes model. The reason is that the passage of time inexorably, inexorably uh, doesn't matter what the word is, with the, pas- with the passage of time, it absolutely leads to a weakening of events and facts that were once clear and chock full of specifics. In an attempt to fill in the missing gaps, the brain is forced to rely on partial facts, fragments, inferences, and outright guesswork, and often, most disturbingly, other memories not related to the actual event. It is, a tr- it is truly reconstructive in nature, much like a detective with a slippery imagination. This is all in the service of creating a coherent story, which reality notwithstanding, brains like to do. So over time, the brain's many retrieval systems, remember, everything gets splattered all over your brain and your brain has to pull it back together. So over time, the brain's many retrieval systems seem to undergo a gradual switch from specific and detailed reproductions to this more general and abstract recall. So, pretend you are a freshman in high school and know a psychiatrist named Daniel Offer. Taking out a questionnaire, Dr. Dan asks you some questions that are really none of his business. What religion was helpful to you in growing up? Did you receive physical punishment as discipline? Did your, impar- did your parents encourage you to be active in sports and so on? Now, pretend it's 34 years later. Dr. Dan tracks you down and he gives you the same questionnaire and he asks you to fill it out. Unbeknownst to you, he still has the answers you gave in high school and he's out to compare your answers. How well do you do? In a word, horribly. (laughs) That's hilarious. In fact, the memories you encoded as as adolescents bear very little resemblance to the ones you remember as adults. As Dr. Dan, who had the patience to actually do this experiment, found out. Take the physical punishment question. Though only a third of adults recalled any physical punishment, such as spanking, Dr. Dan found that almost 90% of the adolescents 
had answered the question in the affirmative. Isn't that interesting? A third of the, of the respondents, 34 years later, a third recalled physical punishment, whereas as teenagers, 90% of the, adult, of the adolescents had answered that they recalled physical punishment. That blows my mind. These data are only some of some that demonstrate the powerful inaccuracy of the Sherlock Holmes style of retrieval. This idea that the brain might cheerily insert false information to make a coherent story underscores its admirable desire to create organization out of a bewildering and confusing world. The brain constantly receives new inputs and needs to store some of them in the same head, already occupied by previous experiences and memories. It makes sense of its world by trying to connect the new information to previously encountered information, which means that new information routine, routinely re-sculpts previously long-standing existing representations and sends the recreated whole back for new storage. What does this mean? Merely that present knowledge can bleed into past memories. Hear that. Present knowledge can bleed into past memories and become intertwined with them as if they were encountered together. Does that give you an approximate view of reality? You bet it does. The tendency, by the way, can drive the criminal justice system crazy because if new memories impact old memories, if you are being interviewed for a court case many years later, your memories may be highly modified. So then that comes back to this question of what is the truth? It's just a thought that I have these days. Repetition is huge. You have to repeat to remember. Given this predilection, pre, pre, uh, given this predilection for generalizing, there is, is there any hope of creating a reliable long, of creating reliable long-term memories? As the brain rule cheerily suggests, the answer is yes. Memory may not be fixed at the moment of learning, but repetition doled out specifically at timed intervals is a fixative. So if you want to remember a, whole, a memory and you want to make sure that it's the original memory, remember it frequently and get it fixed into your long-term memory. Repetition. Given its potential relevance to business and education, it's high time we talked about repetition. There's a little test that um, Medina suggests that involves the phonological loop of working memory. He shows a list of characters for about, and he wants you to look at them for 30 seconds. If you want to write them down, you can. Three a dollar sign, eight, a question mark, a, a percent sign, and then nine. You gaze at the following list 
you gaze at the list of characters for about 30 seconds. Then cover it up before you read the next paragraph. Can you recall the characters in the list without looking at them? Were you able to do this internally without internally rehearsing them? I could not. So don't, and according to Medina, don't be alarmed if you can't remember them either. The typical human brain can hold about seven pieces of information for less than 30 seconds. If something does not happen in that short stretch of time, the information becomes lost. If you want to extend the 30 seconds, say, to a few minutes or even an hour or two, you will need to constantly re-expose yourself to the information. This type of repetition is sometimes called maintenance rehearsal. We now know that the maintenance rehearsal is mostly good for keeping things in working memory. That is, for a short period of time. We also know there is a there is a better way to put in push information into long-term memory to describe it. I would like to re- he has he wants to relate this he wants to relate the story of when he first saw somebody die. Actually, Medina saw eight people die. Son of a career Air Force official, he was used to seeing military airplanes in the sky. But he looked up one afternoon to see a cargo plane do something he had never seen before or since. It was falling from the sky, locked in a dead man's spiral. It hit the ground maybe 500 feet from where he stood, and he felt the shock wave and the heat of the explosion. There are, there are two things he could have done with this information. I could have kept it entirely to myself, or I could have told the world. What did he do? He chose to tell the world. Immediately after rushing home to tell his parents, he called some of his friends. They met for sodas and began to talk about what happened, the sounds of the engine cutting out, his surprise, his fear. The hor- the, as the horrible accident was, they talked about it so much for the next week that the sub- subject got tiresome. One of his teachers actually forbade the kids from talking it up during talking about it up talking about it during class again, because and, and he was threatening to make a T-shirt saying "You've done enough talking." So, why does he still remember the details of the story, the T-shirt threat notwithstanding? His eagerness to yap about the experience provided a key ingredient. The grab fest after the accident forced a consistent re-exposure to the basic facts, following by a detailed elaboration of the kid's impression, the talk. The phenomenon is called elaborative rehearsal, and it's this type of repetition shown to be most effective for the most real robust retrieval. A great deal of research shows that <coughs> sorry, that thinking or talking about an event immediately after it has occurred in, enhances the memory for that event, even when accounting for difference in types of memory. This tendency is of enormous importance to law enforcement and professionals. It is one of the reasons why it is so critical to have witnesses to recall information as soon as it is humanely 
possible after a crime. If you remember Ebbinghouse, the, the man who did the rep- repetition of three-letter three letter words, consonant, vowel, consonant, Ebbinghouse showed the power of repetition in exhaustive detail almost a hundred years ago. He even created forgetting curves, which showed that a great deal of memory loss occurs during the first hour or two after initial exposure. He also demonstrated that this loss could be lessened by deliberate repetition. This notion of timing in the midst of re-exposure is so critical. So we're going to now look at three ways next time I speak. You space out the input, you spark high interest, and you talk about it. The time is done. Thank you so much for listening today to this weight management call on how to keep your brain healthy. And one of that way, one of those ways is to keep your long-term and your short-term working memory functional. I hope I've given you some information in that in that light. So, let me just take us off here. Oops. What number do I want? <laughs> that would be the one. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Recall, recall, recall. I still have to, because it's a number, I still have to check every time the, the three numbers. It's not the, it's not the pongs that get me, it's the recording one. So yeah, repetition, repetition, repetition. Yep. It certainly Thank does you. work. I lo- I- I love this call on memory. I think it's great, especially for us that are in our senior years. <laughs> well, it is. Oh, you it call is senior. <laughs> oh, well, my years are senior. I'm right up there. Exactly. In fact, I'm kind of excited because I think I'm in the 1B group for the vaccine. So I'm senior. <laughs> and I accept it with grace, and I'm happy to remember or to teach my brain how to remember. So thank you, Victoria. <laughs> Realize you're only as old as you are in your heart. Age is a number. <laughs> no, it's not. That's really true, because I, some days we feel very young, and even when we're young, we can feel very old. So that's a true statement. <laughs> Well, I think so, but well, some days, yeah, I agree. I agree. But <laughs> our working memory is, or our memories are definitely impacted by our new memories, which impacts what our old memories are. So make sure, if you really want to remember something, you remember it regularly and you talk about it. So telling your grandchildren about stories or telling your family about family stories. If you want to remember the right story, repeat it often. And if they tell you, well, you're telling me that story again, you're always doing that. Yes, you can say, I'm practicing my memory. (laughs) I love it. Let's practice memory. So everybody, I want to again thank Brian and Frank for their hard work and recording. We have this call every day on Monday to Friday at different hours. Peace, uh, Pacific time is 6.40. Central time, I believe, is 8.40. And Eastern time is 9.40.
Tomorrow we have um, Zoom Nikki? with Nikki Coyne. So, Frank, get ready. Not Frank. Brian, get ready for that. Susan, send him an email or a text to remind him again tomorrow so that we're all up and going. And we have one Team Global starting right now because I talk too much. <laughs> uh, no, that's okay. We love it. That's right. Well, and we love you too, you so love not to worry. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And definitely down the road, when things are better again, we must gather and say hello to each other so that we can see each other in person. I think that would be very cool. Oh, absolutely. Just come to Texas. You can see me in person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I'll keep that in mind. Great... I haven't been I haven't been to Texas in forty years, but I was just passing through. <laughs> well no, I've never I tell been you, to Texas, I love so. it. I love it. I love it. I actually go to my grandson's fifth basketball game, sit in the bleachers and cheer. I'm not on Zoom with that. That's amazing. <laughs> That's well this is true. now you know the rules. You know to stay of a stay distance, to wear your mask. And as long as you you know you're smart with your behavior, you can be safe. Absolutely. And I wouldn't miss it for the world. Thank you. Oh, I'm so glad. That's awesome. Yay. 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 So everybody right, have a safe You have a safe have a great day. You have a great, great day, day, everyone, and and we'll you talk too. to you tomorrow. Take mm-hmm. care now. Bye. Love you guys. Back at you.